I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is our fifth season, and we're talking about Asian Americans in Asia. And today's film is the 2000 documentary First Person Plural by Diane Borchet or Diane Borchet Liam, which is only two of the four names that she's had her entire life, <laughs> hence First Person Plural. Yeah, yeah. It's basically a Korean adoptee story, but it's the story of her finding her Korean family and eventually taking her American family to Korea and having the two families meet. But we should start by talking about who Diane Borchet is. Because she's had a long history of working in Asian American film and Asian American documentary. Yeah, Diane Borchet was heavily part of the Nata slash Cam filmmaking scene in the 90s and 2000s. She was involved with a lot of Spencer Nakasako's films that he's most famous for, including Kelly Loves Tony, which is a throwback to our season number two. She worked on AKA Don Bonus. And I think as a result of her embeddedness in that scene, a lot of the luminaries of Asian American filmmaking documentary at that time also worked on her first film, First Person Plural. Yeah, I noticed in the credits all these familiar names. Like Grace Lee and Debbie Lum and Spencer Nakasako, whose name is on there as well. You sense that this was a film that it's profoundly about her, but that community was behind it. A community was asking questions through this film. And I think it's partly that which makes it have such resonance beyond just it being a personal film. From the moment that I arrived from Korea um, to San Francisco, uh, my father filmed every moment of our life together and really captured this whole process of my becoming American. The film is about my adoption and everything sort of going wonderfully, except that at a certain point, there's an unexpected turn of events and I discover that I wasn't who everybody thought I was. Diem was born in Korea, but at nine years old, she was adopted by a family from Fremont, California. It's a white family who already had two children, a boy and a girl. The mom has somehow started donating money to a foster care organization that worked with orphans in Korea. And as she was writing letters back and forth with one of the caretakers there and keeping track of one of the kids. She started feeling a connection and she wanted to adopt her. As you're first introduced to her white parents and as they're reminiscing, this is the 1960s and thinking about America and the Cold War, America and suburbanization and the rise of a certain kind of middle class. And this is a family that considers themselves like they're doing well and they're kind of proud of what they've built and they want to do more for the world than just help themselves. And uh, so in a kind of goody two-shoes kind of way that only a successful American can be, they decide, let's help some third world types. And they found Korea, which as the documentary also discusses in a really important way, the nation of Korea was also getting into the business of what they called like supplying children to the rest of the world because they found it was a moneymaker. There was a whole business involved with it. So between the Borchets in Fremont, California, and the economic realities that were happening in Korea... There was a child that went from Korea to United States, and that was Cha Jung-hee. Or so we thought. And that plants the seed for the beginning of what turns out to be kind of a fascinating mystery also. She talks about how it wasn't until college and she moved away from her family that she started sort of getting haunted by dreams of her family in Korea. 
As kind of a young adult, she's starting to realize that these are memories flooding back to her. She says that she remembers when she was leaving Korea, the last thing that she was told is, don't tell your American family the truth. That was one of the last things she carried with her from Korea, the sense that like you might not be who they think you are. They think she's an orphan, but she has these childhood memories of actually having a mother and father and brothers and sisters that she left behind. And it was not only... Don't tell them the truth, but don't tell them the truth until you're old enough to take care of yourself. Which is so strange. Yeah. And the film is about like, well, once you start discovering you can take care of yourself, what responsibility do you have? And that's a lot of pressure for even somebody entering adulthood. Yeah. And the whole thing is that her name was actually Kang Okjin and not Cha Jung-hee. The real Cha Jung-hee got picked up by her biological father, who at the last minute decided that they didn't want to put her up for adoption. She took the place of someone named Cha Jung-hee to come to the United States because the American family wanted Cha Jung-hee. And the agency probably figured, I don't know, two young Korean girls, like they're all the same to the Americans. And then they just switched her name. And she's nine. So that's pretty old like it's old enough to really know what's going on so we see the footage of them meeting her for the first time and they describe her as stoic because i think from the borchet's perspective they were just so happy to welcome a new person into the family and they admit this later too like they didn't really think about her perspective necessarily but later realized she was terrified she talks about how obviously when she came to nice she didn't know english but how she gradually lost her korean and part of that is losing her language but also losing your memory yeah that thing that kind of ties you to korea starts to evaporate in the midst of you becoming a cheerleader and like an all-american girl in this all-american city and how her family encouraged that forgetting traditionally adoption has been so much about cutting off the birth family there's so many secrets and, and lies hidden tensions and things like that this was a time i think in the united states where total assimilation was the norm and they didn't think of any other way to deal with me, really. Especially as Deanne starts saying, hey, I'm actually not Cha Jung-hee. And uh, the family's like, we don't care. You are just Deanne to us, which is like a, a nice thing to say. But it also is their way of saying, you don't have multiple histories. To me, it was quite scary. I was afraid I was going to lose you. This matter of non-communication is a two-way street. You could have said just exactly what you did now and it would have thrown the doors wide open. And hence the beginning of this journey back to Korea. And I think the documentary does a good job of showing the nuances of that, you know, where it's not just the American mom not wanting to know anything about her Korean past, but it's also her really struggling with talking to her American mom and her American family about her Korean family because she feels like she's betraying them. And I think the way she says it is that there's times where she's not sure if there's a place for two mothers mm -hmm. in her yeah, life. Yeah. In her head, she didn't have room for two mothers. Yeah. Which is so tragic, but it, it's a beautiful sentiment, yeah. right? To want to hold on to this idea of motherhood that your American mother gave to you. That this American mother, for all intents and purposes, like did a really great job being for her throughout her childhood. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is right. Like, this is a very fair portrayal. She doesn't sugarcoat her parents, but she always wants them and us to know that there is love there. Yeah, yeah. So for instance, like very early on, her white brother says to her, 
hey, I might just be an ignorant white American, but I genuinely think the U.S. is superior <laughs> to everywhere else. <laughs> and therefore, like, that's the perspective that wants them to want to save these children from around the world. And I think we can easily dismiss that as a really imperialist way of thinking. But that's part of the love that they have given to her. And then it becomes Deanne's challenge to disentangle the gross elements of that love from the love that created her and nurtured her. And, and hence, trying to find room for two mothers, for two ways of understanding herself. Yeah, because I mean, from both sides, equally, the story is that she was sent to America so she could have a better life. Yeah, exactly. On the Korean side, as she discovers, there's some kind of fear about what that means as well. Yeah. So yeah, so let's talk about like her going back to Korea, which is... I think by now, like in 2018, we've seen a lot of adoption documentaries. This is one of the first um, that I know about. And still, man, like watching scenes of the reunion, it's just such a powerful thing to await. You know it's going to be fraught with so much anxiety, like the parents meeting the child that they gave up, not knowing what kind of resentment might be going on. Yeah, so I guess going back to the topic of the season, this is a Korean-American adoptee going back to Asia and trying to understand Korea and trying to bring her adoptive parents that are with her. So it's nice where it's like she's grappling with her identities, but she realizes they can't be separate. She realizes at some point, you know, for her own sake, she needs to see them all in a room together so that she can, I guess, make space for all of them together in her own head. Yeah, like physically make space. I think that's, I'm, I'm sure that's terrifying for the White family to know that, yeah, she's not trying to displace them, but she's trying to put them next to others as some kind of equivalent. And then the other thing that I think relates back to this season is for her Korea is kind of a fantasy it's a childhood fantasy because she remembers as a kid wanting to go back to Korea wanting to go back to her family right so this idea of like if I'm good then maybe I can get reunited with my family and kind of telling herself as a kid don't forget them don't forget Korea and then you forget them yeah, <laughs> because you're yeah. a kid right and then when you actually find them you realize you don't know anything about them and you don't know anything about Korea and I think obviously Obviously, this is a very dramatic circumstance because adoption and separation is involved. But I think a lot of Asian Americans can probably relate to this idea of when you go back to the country that your parents are from, that your ancestors are from, your homeland, I guess whatever you call it. There's this familiarity, but really you don't really know anything about it. And sometimes you do just sort of have a fantasy of it. And then what you have to do is discover what the reality is. And I think this is a great documentary right. because it talks about that, but you see it concretely through how she has to reconcile fantasy and reality when it comes to her memories and relationships with her biological family. We do know that after she made this film and after First Person Plural became part of the canon of, I think, great Asian American films, Deanne continued to pursue an interest in filmmaking and then made another documentary that I think we can call it a sequel called In the Matter of Cha Jung-hee. Yeah, where she goes back and tries to find the real Cha Jung-hee. It sounds so exciting. It is, because... If in first person plural, she realized, I am all three of these women. In the matter of Cha Jung-hee, she has to acknowledge one of those three is not actually her. There's an actual Cha Jung-hee out there that she displaced. Yeah. It's just a twist of fate that one became unavailable and then Kang Ok-jin became Cha Jung-hee and then had this incredible life as Diane Borchet and changed the lives of the Borchet family. 
And she was just a kid. She didn't create her destiny. That destiny was set for her by this adoption agency. Someone else could have easily become Diane Borche. And so she wants to find out what happened to Cha Jung-hee. And I'd say this second documentary is just as essential. I'm sure she wasn't thinking about this when she first made the documentary in 2000. But as someone watching it in 2018, who hasn't watched the 2010 one yet, when I watched the trailer for In the Matter of Cha Jung-hee, I was so excited. It's almost like... I had watched the first half of a Bollywood film and it was an intermission and the second half was coming and we're going to find out who Cha Jung-hee was. Or the other analogy is the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight series with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy where they revisit the same couple once every 10 years. I feel like that's the feeling I have. <laughs> 10 years later, you realize, what, there's a sequel? Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, I really want to watch the next one. And it's been eight years since In the Matter of Cha Jung-hee. So is there going to be another one in two years? <laughs> <laughs> And you also see like how she's changed, but also how Korea's changed. Like she goes on TV in, in the matter of Cha Jung-hee to like try to find the real Cha Jung-hee. And you see like how Korean society is now also making sense of the returnees. And like, like letting that be part of their narrative of who they are as well. And since then, you mentioned that there's been a lot more Korean adoptee stories in Asian American cinema and Asian American documentary. There's films like Dan Matthews, aka Dan, which follows his own story of finding his family in Korea and realizing he has a twin. <laughs> and there's another one called Twinsters with Sam Futterman, another actress who discovers she has a twin. And it's nice to see First Person Plural as one of the first stories that shed light on this kind of experience and then see the stories of a new generation of Korean adoptees. My hope is that adoptees birth families and adoptive parents would be able to watch it together and that it might give people courage to open up. We're off to another different time in our life now. We, we understand things better and uh, hopefully it will bring us closer. So to watch these films, you can go to mufilms.org, M-U-F-I-L-M-S dot org. You can buy the DVDs, you can stream it, or they have versions for educators. So you can encourage your university libraries or high schools to buy it. We highly recommend it. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that features stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com where you can find lecture notes and links to all the films we covered. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And our podcast handle is Wake Up Set School. Next week, your assignment is to watch the 2003 documentary Refugee by Spencer Nakasako. An extra credit if you watch the 2016 film by Mike Siv called Days of Justice, D-A-Z-E. Class dismissed. I love there's a scene where we start to hear more from the birth mother and she's talking about when she met Deanne or Okjin for the first time. Like there was a part of her that was overwhelmed by emotion, but then there was the other part of her who was like, wait, she seems way over 30 and she's not married yet. <laughs>
<laughs> like why <laughs> like it's like one of those things where it's like kind of sweet but not sweet <laughs> it's like appropriately complex right yeah yeah i think what makes it funny it's like we know that this is just small talk for like asian mothers <laughs> it's like have you eaten yet are you married yet <laughs> yeah